the outflow of our mission to know Jesus and make him known is in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And what we learn today is the mission is in motion. The mission is in motion. Uh, to start off, I will just admit something to you, tell you a little story, explain how we get here. But um, I had a little bit of a modern hippie phase in my life. It may be shocking to look at me now and think that because I'm so clean cut and professional looking. But there was a day, uh, there was a day that that was not necessarily true. My wife will confirm the story that when we met, I had considerably longer hair than she did. Um, I have less of it every day in my children continue to point out that, Dad, we see more of your forehead than yesterday, and that's fair. Um, But there was a time when I had lots of long blonde hair, and I drove a 1973 Volkswagen Super Beetle. It was a great car. I had a bumper sticker on the back just to confirm my hippie identity. I had a bumper sticker that said, who would Jesus bomb? And I was like, yeah, I got him. Don't know what the answer was. Don't know why I had it, but it made me feel pretty rebellious. I love that car because of its simplicity it was like a lawnmower on tires. It was great, although I couldn't fix my lawnmower, so I don't really, you know, it never quite connected. I wasn't the guy who was actually going to get in there and do it, but part of it, the simplicity spoke to me. It was a little bit of a statement. I like that part. I didn't like the lack of air conditioning. That was sort of a problem in, in South Texas. It gets a little warm, and so uh, I had developed a kind of unfortunate necessity of every day on the way to work and on the way home from work in order not to sweat through my work shirt. I would just have to take my shirt off. And then in the blazing heat of South Texas, I would just be sliding around the vinyl bench seat that was in the front seat of the uh, 73 Super Beetle. It didn't have a shoulder harness. It just had the lap belt. So I'm just sliding around, and it was disgusting and horrifying. And uh, eventually we sold that car. One thing I did do really well when I owned this car was I got good at strategic parking. What do I mean by that? Um, When you have a 1973 Volkswagen Super Beetle, the one thing you need to be sure to do is always park on uh, a decline. You find an incline and you nose down into it, so you always park your car so it can roll down the hill because um, this car, while beautiful and wonderful and rebellious in all the right ways, had a ton of potential energy. Scientists will know potential energy, kinetic energy. It had a ton of potential energy. But turning the key didn't always unlock that potential energy, and so you would have to um, jump, you have to, to start it uh, push start it, which means when you have a manual transmission car that used to be a, something that people had, you put it in second gear, you get it rolling down a hill, and you jump in the car, you close the door behind you, and you pop the clutch, and the engine roars to life, and now you're going on again. No big deal. Don't even have to get a new battery. Just keep... Got old after a while. What we know to be true is a lot of people, and this is how this makes sense to us today, a lot of people see the church and see serving in the church, see working in the church, see being part of a church... A lot of people see it like a 1973 Volkswagen Super Beetle. They see a lot of potential energy there, but they also see that it's going to take a lot of their energy to to push start the thing. When we talk about what does it mean to to be part of a mission, what does it mean to be using our gifts, what does it mean to be active in local ministry and making Jesus known, a lot of us look at uh, the church and we go, oh, that seems like it's going to take a lot of effort to get that thing going, or it seems like it's a lot of work on me to jump in and, and push start the thing. And that's not actually true. What we will see today is the mission is already moving. The mission is already moving. It's already in motion. It's not a car parked on on an incline in order to hopefully get the the potential energy unlocked. It's a thing, it's a train barreling down the tracks. It's a steam engine that's already going. And when we're invited into the church and we're invited into the mission, when we're invited to serve and and use our gifts, what we're invited to is not to, to get behind an old Volkswagen and start pushing it in hopes of getting 
the thing revved up, what we're invited to do is jump on a train that's already barreling down the tracks. A steam engine is powered by uh, the coal that goes into the furnace. It boils the water, creates the steam, drags the pistons. That's how a steam engine works. And what we're invited to in Jesus is not to invent a new engine. We're invited to grab a shovel and just put our fuel into the fire and keep the thing going. And so as Christians, we're invited to become an accelerant in the mission. We don't have to start the mission. We just have to grab a shovel and become an accelerant. The three things we're going to see today that are going to help us do that are actually really, really simple. First one, we're going to learn how to become an encourager. We're going to learn how to uh, to fan the flame of our own gifts. And then third, we're going to be challenged to share. So let's start in 2 Timothy verse uh, 1 of chapter 1. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, and he starts it this way. He says, Paul, identifying himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with clear conscience, as I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is just the introduction of a letter. We're so used to text, email, and all these electronic ways of doing things that if someone even gets our name, we're kind of excited. This is the introduction. Timothy, my beloved son, Paul shows us two ways to accelerate the mission right away. The first one is outside in, becoming an encourager, becoming an encourager. There's tons of research on the psychology of encouragement. I read way too many papers uh, this last few weeks about trying to figure out kind of the quantifiable difference that, uh, that encouragement makes in various places. I read papers on Adlerian uh, counseling, on, on higher education, on what is, what is the effect of, it, of, of encouragement? What I kind of kept coming back to over and over was, was it's really difficult to measure. In a counseling environment, what, what encouragement versus, you know, kind of harsh truth-telling, what's the difference? This motivational encouragement, there's all these different ways to do it. What's, how do you measure that? And, and so many of the things I read said it's really hard for us to get a real good, I mean, we, de- we developed a study, we did a whole thing. We know it matters. It's hard to tell you how much, but it matters. And over and over, encouragement matters. I think Wal- Ralph Waldo Emerson sums it up best. When he says this, he says, our chief want is is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. All of us know innately that encouragement matters. And we try to quantify it, and it's not easy, and yet there's whole schools of thought that that are after how do we get to be more encouraging. And yet this, for me, sums it up. All of us, all of us have this chief desire to have someone in our life who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Someone to speak hope and inspiration into us. Because encouragement is simply affirmation. It's someone willing to say, you can before you get started, it's someone saying, you can do it. When you're in a tough situation, it says, you can get through it. And what we have to recognize as the body of believers is that for us to be effective, part of being for BG, part of being about making Jesus known in each and every one of our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our offices, part of that, to be for others, is to first be for each other. To be encouragers. Almost everyone can recall a time when the encouragement of a friend had a major impact on their lives. In a tough season, to get started, almost everyone can think, you know what, if, if it weren't for this encouragement, that great thing never would have come. That invitation into the unforced rhythm of grace. 
in South Africa, uh, our pastor Willie is my hero. He's a man who's now been in his church 45 plus years, the same little poor inner city church in a city of 10 million. And he just keeps on chipping away and he's doing funerals and doing weddings and he's visiting the hospital, he's visiting the sick. He's, he just does what he does every single week. And I, I, I spent time with him over these couple of years that I was a missionary there and I just thought, what an incredible life that he lives. At some point in our relationship, he and I kind of just doing life together, he would start introducing me to people. We'd go and we'd meet the, the guy at the, the auto shop. And he'd say, come on with me. He owes me a favor. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. He's kind of like a mafia don. He'd be like, he owes me a favor. We're going to get that for free. And I'd be like, all right. And we'd go to three or four places before he got it for free. And somebody would give it to him for free because he baptized their child, you know, 50 years ago. And they'd be like, yeah, I remember that. I guess I never tithe anymore. Okay, we'll do it. Here's your new battery. And he would just always work that out. But he'd start introducing me as his Timothy. And for a, for a hot minute, I thought he just forgot my name. I was like, and then the people would call me, Tim, they misunderstood, and they're like, okay, well, good to see you, Timothy, great to meet you. Anyway, here's what we're going to do. And I was like, you know what? Whatever. But he kept introducing me as this Timothy. This is my Timothy. It's one of the, the great honors and humbling uh, statements of my life. It encouraged me not because he challenged me to something greater, but because he spoke into what was already there. It was encouragement that he saw me as a worthy person to follow in his footsteps as Paul to Timothy. He basically said, you have everything required to do what I do. I see the way you look at me. I see the way we talk about the work that's happening. You can do this too. You can become this. You can. It was profound encouragement in my life. It changed the way I saw myself, and it propelled me into ministry. The reason I exist here with you is because he said that one day. To this day, few words are as precious to me as those, and I read Paul's letters to Timothy, and invariably at some point I will begin to tear up, and I have to tell myself to stop that this is not about me. Because I know that type of encouragement. When you look at it, you see Paul writes Timothy and starts by encouraging and affirming, and he he does so in relationship and in faith. In Christ Jesus, you're my beloved son, my beloved child. I do a fair bit of kind of pastoral counseling and listening for the most part. And I know that a great percentage of people in our society, especially in the church, but in our society as a whole, carry a father wound. And somewhere along the line, we've just felt a little bit excluded. Somewhere along the line, we, we haven't quite felt as affirmed as we wish we did. Somewhere along the line, we just, there's something in us that never got approved. And we're desperate for that. We look at, at Paul calling Timothy his beloved child, and we go, well, that's, that's a weird thing to say, but maybe, maybe that's just how they did it back then. That's just an old-fashioned thing from those times, and you would just kind of refer to somebody as your child. And you're like, no, that's not it at all. Contextually, what we know about Timothy is that he was born, and Paul mentions it, he had a faithful lineage of his grandmother and his mother, both faithful Jews, and then his mother fell in with a, a Greek man. And so Timothy was the, was the child of a, a mixed-race marriage in a day when that was not okay. He was called a mumser. He's mixed race. He's part Jew, part Greek. And what that meant was he was excluded from all the stuff that happened in Tipple. He was, ex- he was excluded from all the abilities to learn and study the Torah. He was not allowed to follow a rabbi. Timothy, who had this great pa- fa- uh, passion and faith, was never allowed to actually pursue it because, because he didn't have a Jewish father. He lacked a father. And so Paul looks at him and says, Timothy, you are my beloved child. 
What an encouragement. What a moment to know somebody well enough to know just the words that will unlock them. It occurs to me as we even think of that in here, how many of us know each other so well? We know histories, we know past, we know stumblings and sins, we know stories back to front. And the people you know in your life, you have the ability to encourage them, to unlock for them. Just in the power of your words, just in the way that you start the text or the email, my beloved child. Paul was saying, you have a father to look up to. You have someone to aspire to be like. And in that warm and that hopeful greeting, Timothy then ascends. And what we know about Timothy's life is he absolutely fulfilled what Paul had for him. Can you imagine getting a letter like that? Can you imagine that when someone would write you and affirm how much you were loved or the core of your identity or your purpose? Can you imagine feeling that level of belief from someone else? If we fuse our steam engine metaphor and Paul's letter, what, what we see is Paul is saying the train is on the tracks and the mission is already there and we have a life together here. And so let me simply add a little bit of fuel. Let me add a little bit of encouragement, Timothy. You are already doing this, but here's what you need to know. You're worthy. The encouragement of Paul stokes the furnace of Timothy's heart so that Timothy can stoke the furnace of the mission. I said, we're all required to pick up our shovel and start stoking the furnace of the mission. It's already moving. It's already in motion. We just clue in. And for all of us, the same is true. When you stoke the furnace of a heart, what you're doing is allowing that person to get up again and then stoke the furnace of the mission. Encouragement matters. And being an encourager is an act of simple discipline. There are people all over the room that would go, well, that's not really my gift. I kind of got a hard edge. More of a critic. That's kind of my gift. I can see what's wrong with everything. That's my gift. Encouragement is not, uh, while it is something you can be naturally inclined to do, it's not something that you have to be naturally inclined to do. Encouragement is an act of discipline. It's an act of sheer will. Coach Huger is a member here, the basketball coach. Both he and one of the other assistant coaches, Coach Cardock, they are sweet enough to allow me into their life. So we kind of, we'll have lunch together, we'll read a book together, we'll do some stuff. We'll just, they get a lot of text messages from me, maybe too many. And something that's true is I was talking to this assistant coach and he was, you know, just struggling through another year as, as someone pretty far down the totem pole. He's like, I don't, you know, leading and, and how do I be the leader God's called me to be? Sometimes I don't have the position to do it. I said, yeah, well, that can be hard. So sometimes we lead by encouraging. Sometimes we simply find someone who's willing to listen and we build them up. And in that, we can lead from behind. And he's like, okay, well, that sort of makes sense. I said, well, think about it this way. I said, I have no role in your life, right? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, just we have breakfast, we talk, that's fine. I said, I text you before every game, right? He said, yeah, yeah, you do that. 30 plus times a year, you're going to get something from me on your game day that says something specific about what's coming up, that you're not alone, that you can do this, to hang in there. I said, do you know, I said, this may make you less excited about what I do for you. And he's like, okay. I said, do you know that I have in my calendar all of your games? Like, it isn't spontaneous love for me that I wake up and I go, Lord, who should I pray for? Oh, Ryan, I got him. And then I send the text. I said, it's not that. I said, I actually have in highlighter green all of the games on my calendar. So I never, ever, 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 ever forget to reach out to Coach Uger, to reach out to you, to give you a little bit of encouragement. 
And I was like, does that make it less special? And he's looking at me like, I don't know, I think so. <laughs> and so the point I'm making for him was I said, we think it's cheating. You can't have that in your calendar. That's not encouragement. You're just checking a box. That's cheating. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's not organic. It's not authentic. There's nothing to that. And I said, really? What shows greater care? Planning and succeeding or spontaneously failing? Anybody ever forgotten an anniversary or birthday of a loved one? How'd that go? My anniversary and birthdays are in my calendar because they matter so much to me that I will plan so I never forget them. I want to be a steady drip of encouragement for the coaches in what can be a very lonely profession. And so for me, I have to find the discipline. I have to care enough not to let the business of life stop me from remembering to pray for them. To let them know they're not alone. They've given me access to their life. They've given me a gift to steward. Same is true for pastor friends who are far away, or far away family that don't see them on a daily basis, or old community group members from our last church. I have a friend in our last community group who loves uh, the television show The Office. And so whenever I hear a line or I, something strikes me from the show, all I will text him, nothing nice, nothing affirming, nothing encouraging, literally all I will text him was the exact quote from the show. No context, send, it's gone. He receives that. 10, 15 minutes later, he'll send me something else back that has no context, and it's, a, it's another quote from the show, and I'll be like, okay, I guess we're still friends. Pretty worthless, right? But he's in the back of my mind, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. The other day, I think it was the, the, the day before Thanksgiving, he's a pharmacist, and I sent him a, some worthless, stupid line, and I just said, hey, here you go. And, and like 30 seconds later, he texts back, and he goes, um, this is probably the worst day of my working life. I've been throwing up all morning. The person who's supposed to come in for me isn't showing up. It's just been the worst day. And this made me smile. And I don't feel better. I still feel like throwing up. But, but this made me smile. Like, this means the world to me. I sent him a quote from a worthless television show. And for him, it got him through the day. Encouragement isn't hard. It's not complicated. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to study it. You just have to try and the disciplined drip of doing so can change lives. So part of the mission and keeping the mission moving is keeping everyone on the train energized. Who around you needs a pat on the back, an affirming word, outside in? The other is inside out. Inside out, we are charged to fan the flame. To fan the flame, Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God. There is work for each of us in fanning the flame of our salvation and our giftedness. So you've been given the gift of grace, this, this overwhelming general gift of grace. You are saved through Jesus. And Paul points that out. But you've also been given the gift of hospitality or evangelism or discernment or generosity. You've been given specific gifts for you to use in the body. And each of us has a different mix of those things. And put all together, we become a whole. This is not like a gift you get uh, in a few weeks from grandmother or your aunt or somebody. Then you get a pair of socks. A pair of socks you get as a gift, and you smile, and you say, thank you for these socks. I've, I needed those. And you put them on, and you wear them. You wear socks. This is not the gift that God is giving us. He's not giving you something that you can just put on and wear. A gift from God is more like if someone gave you a home gym. 
that it needs to be used and developed. It's the gift of personal development. And the only way to get it is to, to work at it and to practice and to hone and to use. And so you begin to grow into what the gift was intended for. The gifts of God are that. It's a home gym in the basement that isn't gathering dust like so many of ours are. And it says this is a gift that is not only given to you, but is required of you to work at, to improve, to hone. The difference between talent and skill is simply disciplined diligence. A lot of people are born brilliant at various things. The difference between talent and skill is just disciplined diligence. Watched a basketball game last week. I was telling my wife about this guy. I started reading about him. He's a freshman. He's playing up in Detroit. And he's scoring 40 points as a freshman, which is pretty unheard of. His dad's the coach. And, and you say, well, how did he get good? He's just a natural prodigious talent, right? And then you look into it, and it says he gets between one and 5,000 shots up every day. Was he born with prodigious talent? Yeah. Was he born with great genes? Yeah. Was he born that he was 6'1 and not 5'8? And so he, yeah, all those things help. But, but taking 5,000 three-pointers a day, that's discipline, diligence to hone what was given to you naturally. The difference between talent and skill is simply diligence. So many of us have been given gifts. Are we working at them? Are we fanning into flame their giftedness so that they are more and more and more useful in the kingdom. I explain it this way. I, I, 20 years ago, I took a gifts assessment, and it said I had the gifts of prophecy, not telling the future, but telling the truth, uh, exhortation, and teaching. Those were my top three gifts, and I said, I don't know what to do with those. It turns out this is what I'm supposed to do with them. I find out a few years later. But as I began to, to lean into my giftedness, what I recognize is in order to, to be good at what I've been called to do, in order to be good at what God has gifted me to do, it actually takes work. Ask my wife. She has dozens, uh, unfortunately, of pictures of me from various stages of our life. I read on a Kindle, like a you know, little digital e-reader, and she'll have pictures of me like brushing my teeth while reading, which is a weird thing to do, or just doing... If I could read while mowing the lawn, that would be like nirvana for me. I could do... I mean, I almost cannot think about it now. I'm going to try that and send you a picture. But if I can read, I want to read. Why? Because I need more input. I need more illustrations. I need more interesting ways to say things so that the truth of God's word gets into our hearts and we all get it to action and get out on mission. That's my job. That's my gift. But I have to fan the flame of that gift by reading and reading and reading and reading. And when I'm not reading, because I can't read because I'm driving, then I got to listen to a podcast so I can learn that way too. And at times it's maddening. And there are always times that I'd rather be uh, watching sports. Netflix is pretty fun. And yet I know at the end of the day, I got I to gotta get back in there and I got to read this next book. I'm going to read 50 books a year minimum. Been doing it for years, plan to do it the rest of my life. Why? Because I, I need that to be sharpening the gift God's given me. When you teach 40 times a year, the average sermon has 6,500 words in it. 40 times 6,500 is 260,000. That would be about an 1,100-page book if you were to write them all down. So I am by my giftedness, to teach you, to encourage, to exhort. But in order to have 1,100 words that aren't repeating the same thing every week, that are interesting, that are new, that are new illustrations, like, like today's illustration about the Volkswagen Beetle wasn't your favorite. Admit it, right? Go read another book. That one wasn't so good. And so I'll go read another book, and I'll get a new illustration. We'll use that one next week, and you'll be happier. But that's the whole idea. Because if I didn't go and dive into that stuff, I wouldn't have anything to give with my giftedness. 
And so I have to continue to dive and dig and learn and grow and get more input so that I can have new and better and fresher ways to say things that are 2,000-year-old truths that we need every day brand new. It's all about the mission. What is your role in the mission? That's my role. What's your role? We all have a shovel. It's all a different shape and size. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. Some of them have been at it a long time, and you've got a snow shovel, and you're throwing coal in that furnace, and you're doing a ton of work around here, and you're doing it right in line with what you're supposed to. Awesome. Some of us are picking up one piece of charcoal at a time and tossing it in. We're just getting started. That's awesome, too. The mission is moving. I'm going to send out a gifts assessment. So anybody who says, I don't really know what my gift is, I'm going to send one out. It took me nine minutes. I did it this morning to make sure I could tell you the truth. Nine minutes. And it gave me, out of these nine team gifts you have that you can apply to anywhere, you're going to know what yours are. You're going to go, wow, I didn't even know I was that. And then on top of that, I'm going to give you a little spreadsheet that has a cross. And you can say, if I have the gift of, of teaching, these are the five areas in the church I could actually serve today if I wanted to. That doesn't mean you have to. But it means every single one of us has a gift that can be used within the body to encourage the believers to send the mission accelerated on further. The mission is moving. So one, become an encourager. Two, know your gift and fan the flame of it. And three, share the mission. Everybody on your chair today, you got a sticker. You hold up the sticker, make sure everybody got one of these. It's a very nice sticker. Very well done, I might say. Greg Jenkins had these printed for us, and they're super sweet. This sticker has a really heavy job today, and you're about to hear about it. It's not only to encourage you or just to intrigue your neighbor. It's more than that. Yeah, it looks cool. Um, It's a reminder. When you slap that thing on your back window, it's a reminder that you're part of something larger than yourself, that we represent something bigger than our own ambition and agenda. What would it look like to fan the flame of generosity in our community? Let me use this as the example. These stories are out there. This has happened before. This is not unique. I did not make this up. But imagine you put that sticker on the back left uh, back windshield, right above the, the, right in front of the person who would be driving right behind you in traffic, per se. Or, or maybe the person who's behind you in the drive through line at Starbucks, where there's always a line at the drive through so imagine you're in that drive through line, and you've been in that line before where you're stuck in a drive through line at McDonald's or Starbucks or wherever you are, and you find yourself reading all the bumper stickers of the car in front of you because you're bored to death and wishing it was going faster because you wouldn't be driving through if you didn't need that fast, right? So you're staring at this sticker in front of you. What would happen if you were staring at a sticker that said 4BG and you go, I don't know what that is. I live here and I've never even heard of that. What is that about? And you got up to the window to pay and the person said, no, no, the person in front of you took care of yours today. Oh. There are stories out there where this type of fanning the flame of generosity, this, these stories go where the Starbucks employees actually start getting pretty excited about this because you not only minister to them by going, well, that was different, but you minister to the person behind you who was wondering what that 4BG thing was about to begin with, and now they're at home Googling it going, what in the world is, why are these people doing this weird stuff? And there are stories from Starbucks where this has happened for hours, where one person starts a cascading motion and they pay for the person behind them and they pay for the person behind them, and it'll go for hours. To where the Starbucks people are cheering it on. Come on! Don't blow it! And 76, they have records. You can go look it up. 76 people in a row paid for the person behind them. And every single one of us, if we think about doing it this week, is going to be praying we didn't get the guy who's ordering for his whole office. $37 for coffee? Like, well, maybe that was your calling this week. I don't know what it is. But what if we all did that? What if every single one of us, in little tiny ways was not only reminded by the sticker that we're part of something that we exist here for a reason, but in little tiny ways was using that as an intrigue, 
as a way to unlock, as a way to encourage the person around us. Fan the flame of curiosity. Who are these people? And as the stickers pop up on laptops and on windows, perhaps there's going to be a growing sense that there are people out there that are for us, encouraging us, rooting for us about this place that we, we love. You want to be encouraged? Six months from now, you'll be out and you'll see one of these stickers out in the wild, living and breathing on its own. On someone's car you don't recognize or on a light pole that I put 12 on this morning on downtown. Um, I didn't do that. And you'll see one, it'll click within you. You'll go, oh yeah, that's cool. The same way that a Steelers fan who's in Browns country sees another Steelers fan across the restaurant and gives them the old fist bump. Yeah, I see you over there. It's the same feeling you get when you see someone else that's on a mission that's about more than, than grown men in tight pants thrown around a pigskin about something greater than that. And that's the proliferation of this idea that when we begin to share this thing we're about, we're actually not only encouraging others to join this mission that we know is life-changing and life-transforming and eternity-altering, but we're encouraging each other. Stick with it. I'm out here too. I'm fighting with you. I'm on the journey with you. I'm shoveling too. We're doing this together. It's kind of all in encouragement. We are working together to accelerate the mission that we've been called to, and there are hundreds of other souls out there today who are walking away with a sticker who are going to figure out where they're going to stash this thing so that when someone else sees it, they go, oh yeah, we're part of something bigger. So there's three things today that we're to do. As we close this series, we think about how we're to take our mission out of these walls. The three things are what? Become an encourager. It's not hard. You just have to want to. Fan the flame of your giftedness. God has wired you up for something and the body of believers is desperate for that. And third, be willing in subtle and creative and generous ways to share the mission with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity, your encouragement of us through Jesus, encouragement we can't even imagine, that when we were down and out that you picked us up, when we were hurting that you came to our side. Father, you show your approval for us and your affirmation of us through the giving of Jesus. We're thankful for that and thankful for uh, the way that you've called us into a mission that doesn't require us to push, but just to get on board. God, I pray that uh, each heart in here would be encouraged. First and foremost, we're all in a battle. Everyone is fighting for something, big or small. Father, remind us that you're with us, that we're not alone, that we are your beloved children each of us in our own way, your Timothy. In that, Father, I pray that you would encourage us in our hearts, that you would embrace us, that we might go and be that for others. We might be the accelerant to the mission in the life of another, that we could look across the room, across the street, and see the heart that needs a hand. Father, finally, we are asking you to make us bold to give us a sense that we're about something bigger than ourselves or about you. And an interesting way is to make you known, to live outside the box, to do things to pique curiosity in a world that has long since shut down, to be for a people and their flourishing and their goodness, to be for an eternity with you. 
thank you for giving us that gift in Jesus. I pray that as we give it away, we do so well, and we honor you and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.